Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome back to the Stateside Madness podcast. This week, we're going to be reviewing Mad Not Mad. Uh, before we get to that, though, we want to thank, again, Diane, Kathy, Mo, Jay, and Bobby for joining us on the last episode. Uh, totally a lot of fun. Bit experimental. Didn't know how it was going to go. And as it turns out, everything went perfectly. And Lori, how are you today? Good. How are you? How are you, Polly? I'm pretty good. I have some exciting news. So let's go to The Communicator. Polly, are you ready for this? As of yesterday, we hit 1,000 downloads of the podcast. Do you believe it? I do believe it. Um, I'm really uh, pretty amazed, though. I didn't really realize that there'd be that many people uh, uh, willing to tune in and, and follow what we're doing. So very thankful to everybody out there who has. Absolutely. Thank you so much to everybody who's listening, who's supporting us behind the scenes, people who've been sharing, people who've been writing in or participating. Thank you so much. That makes this so much more fulfilling for us, I think. Don't you think? Absolutely. Speaking of people who have really supported this podcast, I want to give a shout out to Robert from Mad Chat. Uh, he's been one of our early supporters. He had knee surgery this week. He's recovering. So uh, uh, best wishes to you, Robert. Wishing you a, uh, a, a speedy recovery. And speaking of get well messages, uh, word out on the street is that Lee Thompson, our favorite saxophonist, has been having some health issues. I don't know the specifics of it. Uh, it sounded like it was a little bit serious. Um, I, I don't know exactly what what it, they have they haven't volunteered what the problem is but uh i understand that uh his wife debbie is taking good care of him at home and that he's resting so uh lee we wish you all the best uh speedy recovery speedy recovery is right and by all means we want you good and well for the spring tour fingers crossed we get to we get to run into you in may and june Speaking of Lee Thompson, uh, they've just announced that he is coming out with a book. It's called Growing Out of It, Machinations Before Madness. Uh, it's by Lee Thompson with uh, Ian Snowball is the name of the co-writer. I'm wondering if that's a, a pen name. That's an interesting name. Uh, but it's supposed to be coming out April 22nd, 2021. 
so Lee's memoir. I'm really looking forward to reading it because you know I'm an avid reader, Polly. Yeah, and uh, I've I've liked the the madness book so far, and uh, I probably will give it a read as well. You know, I'm hoping I can get my hands on a copy, and then assuming that the uh, spring tour takes place, I'm going to get it autographed by the man himself in Vegas. That's my plan. So let's, let's now talk about Mad Not Mad. So Polly, do you want to give a little bit of context about what's going on now with the record label at this time? Sure. So um, right about that time, well, actually a little bit before, uh, about August of 1984, they leave Stiff Records. Um, won't go too far into the reasoning because it's, there's a bit to be said, I guess, on both sides, but um, they did leave Stiff. They did start their own label, Czar Jazz, in uh, 1984. And um, the first single off of that would have been Fergal Sharkey's Listen to Your Father. Yeah, so then in 85, the band recorded their first album on their own label, Czar Jazz. Uh, the album was called Mad Not Mad. Sud said in his autobiography that close. There was a feeling that if you took your foot off the gas, even for a second, then the whole thing would run out of steam and disappear into oblivion. And so the band was really feeling pressured to keep recording, even though I think at this time they could have done with a little bit of a break. Uh, so the album was released in the US under Geffen, the Geffen uh, Records label. And in this album, they're exploring a lot of new themes of, uh, well, getting older seems to be one of the themes of this album. Also seems a lot more political in nature than a lot of their previous work. Um, they're relying a lot heavier on synthesizers. And, and, and as we listen to this today, I think you'll hear that. They're also using electronic drums. If you look at the album credits, it says Mr. D.M. Woodgate programmed Lynn drum and keyboard sequences, triggered AMSs, and played drums. It's like the and play drums is like the little afterthought there. So it's primarily uh, Lynn drum machines that Woody is programming. And I'm, I'm very curious how he felt about that. You know, they're moving into this like electronic mid eighties synth drum machine direction. I, I, I'm, I just, I, I'm very curious at how, if Woody liked that, I, I suspect he probably didn't. And I see you shaking your head no, Polly. <laughs> Any, anybody who's listened to the previous podcasts knows that Lori has this mean little trick where she makes me say what my least favorite track on the album is. And we will, by all means, get to that. But the thing is, particularly with uh, Mad Not Mad, and this is a little bit ad-libbing here. I wasn't prepared to get into this because I was going to play as nice as I could. But... Um, it's not surprising that they fell into a bit of a trap sound-wise with the keyboards and the drum synthesizers that many bands did. All new technology, all fairly enticing. And in the mid-1980s, it wasn't as though 
other bands were being very shy about stuff like that. It was one of those things where normally you might look around to your left and to your right and see what your peers are doing and see if it's safe to jump in the water. But at that point, everybody was jumping in head first and getting right on the train with keyboards and drum machines. Consequently, and which I will bring up a little bit as we go track by track, it really encapsulates it in a certain time. Uh, you can listen to this album, pretty much pinpoint it down to 1985. Uh, the mid 80s sound was very, is very dated, and very specific and Madness did it as well on this album. You know, I, I wonder if part of the reason too isn't now, so, so as we had talked about in the previous episode, Mike Barson has left the band at this point. So he was not only the keyboard player, uh, but he was also kind of the de facto leader of the band. You know, he was one of the founders. And it sounds to me from what I've heard and what I've read that um, Chaz Smash really kind of stepped up and, and took more of a lead role at the, this point and uh, a lot more songwriting as well. But because we have this, this void, I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason why they didn't see an opportunity there with the synth and stuff, since they don't have a regular keyboardist at this point. Uh, they're relying very heavily on session musicians. Also, I should probably mention the backing vocals because they have, well, if you look at the album cover, um, I'm sorry, if you look at the liner notes, it says male backing vocals by Jimmy Helms, Jimmy Thomas, and Jimmy Chambers. So we have three guys named Jimmy, which is kind of weird. And uh, Aphrodisiac are back, the, uh, the female backing vocals by Aphrodisiac. And uh, another thing to, um, to know probably about the Mad Not Mad album is right off the bat, you don't even get into listening to music and you're noticing something different with the album cover. The album cover being designed by Simon Helfen, a graphic designer, worked with Paul Weller and the Jam, uh, and of course, of course, Paul Weller and Style Council. You know, the black background, the sort of updated from mod outfits, um, and very, I'd say, Depeche Mode-esque type of um, album cover. That 80s um, graphic design splash over the faces, yeah, right off the bat, you know that there's something different. Um, and the album's released. NME, who, who I, I would say doesn't, I don't know, doesn't often cherry pick albums um, to give great praise to. They actually listed Mad Not Mad at 55 of their 100 best albums of all time. However, it was in 1985 when they made that distinction. So over time, I'm assuming has moved far down from there. Um, and of course, in the US, the album didn't chart at all. The singles didn't either. Um, so it was completely, completely the start of Madness falling off the radar in the US. You know, the band was, I think, having a bit of their doubts about the album, even right at the beginning, even right after it was released. Um, and Suggs famously calling the album uh, a polished turd in the BBC uh, Radio 1 interview that he had done a few years later in 1993. So, you know, probably not the most uh, or, or the, uh, the favorite of the band members either. 
Lori, what do you got? Well, you know, as we're going to talk about the tracks, um, some of the tracks I think have really withstood the test of time. There are some really, really strong tracks on the album. And I mean, I appreciate the fact that the band was going through like an experimental phase here, trying to find, you know, a new sound. I, I appreciate that. Not all the tracks have aged very well. And as we, as we do this deep dive here, as we listen to them, I, I think both of us will have some very strong opinions about that. I do want to mention one other person, uh, and that is uh, Seamus Began. So as I mentioned, Mike Barson has left the band. He uh, decided he wanted to go live in Amsterdam. And so they needed a new keyboard player. Now, Seamus did not play on the album. All right, if you look at the liner notes, it was actually Elvis Costello's keyboardist, Steve Naive, playing on the album. But shortly after that, they recruited Seamus Began, and uh, you might recognize him from the videos for Uncle Sam and Swedish Girl, and he's also on the cover of the Uncle Sam single. He played keyboards on the Mad Not Mad tour, so he kind of became Mike Barson's replacement. So he's not actually playing on the album, but he really is about to become a, 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 uh, an integral part of the band at this point. Oh, but let me, right. let me just say though, let me just say one more thing about, <laughs> let me just say one more thing about Seamus. I just think he's so freaking adorable. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I see him, you know, in the videos. And then there's one, gosh, I can't remember now which concert video it was. It might've been one of the Mad Stocks where he had his head shaved, but he was still so cute. I think Seamus is cute. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for humoring me, Polly. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Okay, so let's get right into the deep dive part of the podcast. Uh, the first track is going to be a Woody and Lee composition. It is I'll Compete. Let's take a listen. So, I've got some thoughts on this, but I'm going to let you take a crack at it first, Lori. What do you think about the Al Compete song? You know, I think I talked about this in one of the other episodes. Maybe it was the episode where we were doing the Woody, uh, Woody deep dive. Um, the song itself is not bad. I mean, I appreciate, especially the lyrics. 
you know, I'll be your promotional copy in this here number one band. I mean, right off the bat, it's like a, a shots fired, you know, against the, the record company that is like pressuring them to keep recording and keep recording. Um, but it almost sounds like two songs mashed together to me. It almost, it, the, and, and I know Polly, you're going to talk about, especially the, the uh, synthesizer beginning of this song, but um, it's that the, the intro just seems like it belongs to a different song to me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think there's a lot that separates this from other madness songs. The first part being that, I really feel like a god-awful Beverly Hills Cop, Harold Falkmer, you know, ripoff kind of sound. Uh, I refer to it as the Axel WTF intro. And then the harmonica in it, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to go back a little bit and see, but I think this might be the introduction of harmonica in uh, Madness songs. And I just personally happen to be, not be that big of a fan of harmonica um, in in my type of music. Apologies to Judd who played on this album a bit and um, and apologies to Winston Bazumis who was a big, big part of Bad Manners and a fantastic harmonica player, but it's just not my thing. Um, yeah, and uh, just not not the biggest fan of the of the song. And I'd argue not a great lead lead track either. For an album mm -hmm. and i could go on but i'm gonna i'm gonna play nice i'm gonna behave as best i can through <laughs> mad not mad so um, lori what do we have for a second song well before we get to the second song uh you mentioned judd so uh that's judd lander and he's actually quite a famous harmonica player i think he's best known for the culture club song karma chameleon so he's actually quite a famous harmonica player and we're going to hear from him again on this album later too all right, so the next track, Yesterday's Men. So Yesterday's Men, uh, that was written by Chris Foreman and Suggs. And I kind of think of it as like One Better Day Part Two. You know what I mean? I, it seems like a continuation of that kind of a theme. This was their first single off of the album. Um, the backing vocals, I think, are very interesting. Uh, Jimmy Helms. So he's an American soul singer. And 
I recognized him from London Beat. I don't know if you remember London Beat. Thinking about you. It was, my sister played that song so much when it came out, it drove me nuts. Do you remember that one, Polly? I've been thinking about you. Shabbat. I do remember that one. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, this is, this is one of the songs on the album that I think really has stood the, the test of time. I think it is a good song. Uh, a little, little melancholy, but, you know, I think that the title of the song is, is a little unfortunate because you can just visualize the articles and the reviews, that, you know, referring to madness, yesterday's men. Are they yesterday's men? Are they has-beens? Are they washed out? And uh, um, I think I was watching an interview last night from one of the DVD commentaries, and I think Mark, Mike Barson, even though he wasn't in the band at the time, he even said, you know, that was really an unfortunate title for this song. What do you think, Polly? I'll just, I guess I'll just say there's not a lot wrong with the song. It's not my style or not what attracts me to madness. You know, I'm a baggy trousers and night boat type of guy. I love the high energy stuff. You know, this is, it's not my favorite period for madness, but I think there's a lot in that song for a lot of other madness fans. So it, it gets a, on a pass fail, it's a, it's a pass for me. Yeah. Um, I can see why people definitely appreciate it. I, I, I enjoy this song. I think it's one of the better songs on the, on the album. Speaking of harmonica and Judd, there is actually another recording of this song with Judd playing harmonica in lieu of uh, Lee's saxophone solo. It's actually not too bad. I guess you're not a, not a harmonica guy, but uh, that alternate version is not too bad either. But yeah, I, I, I like this one. I think it's a very strong song. Okay. Uh, and moving on to the third song and one that I'd say kind of features prominently in the psyche of American Madness fans. It is a Chrissy Boy and Tomo composition, Uncle Sam. Let's take a listen. that song. Uh, very upbeat, very much the style of Madness songs I like. 
uh, little bits in the way of both um, samples and um, instrumentation to make it uh, fit thematically with the uh, idea of the song lyrically. Um, so there's the foghorn sound at the beginning, very reminiscent to Night Boat to Cairo, uh, a little bit in there of Ride of the Valkyries for all you Wagnerians, and um, a little bit in the way of Popeye the Sailor Man uh, for you cartoon aficionados. It's a, it's a clever pop song. You can hum along. You know, uh, it does have enough melody going on in there to draw people in. I, I'm, I'm fine with the song. I do think it's one of the stronger songs on the album, but this is also fairly, uh, aside from the 80s instrumentation that we're going to probably talk about a bit more too, not a fairly cohesive song, a bit all over the place. And I think if you put uh, have this sandwiched in between Yesterday's Men and White Heat. Bit, bit peculiar. But uh, again, on the pass fail, it's a pass for me. Lori, what do you think? I, I like this song a lot. Um, from what I understand, this was like a, a, a commentary about how the British military kind of seem to be at the beck and call of America, you know, that anytime America would get involved in a conflict, Britain would too. That's kind of uh, what I took from that. The uh, Ride of the Valkyries sample that's in there. Um, so that is very clearly Apocalypse Now, right? The movie Apocalypse Now. Uh, I have a funny story about that. I was playing this uh, for for my husband and, you know, he, he grew up in another country and didn't really, wasn't familiar with madness, but he's also a video gamer. And he heard this, this part, this Ride of the Valkyries. And he goes, oh, he just leveled up. <laughs> it was like a level up. <laughs> Um, and then the first time I heard the, you know, like listening on my headphones and really take, picking apart the nuances of this song. And I'm like, is that Popeye the Sailor Man in the, it, it, buried in the mix? And sure enough, it is. Now, I hope that we're not going to get, um, I hope, I hope we're not going to open up the band to, to a lawsuit from some royalties for for the, the cartoon studio for, for sampling that song. I hope, I hope we're not gonna get in trouble for mentioning that. Um, I also need to talk about the video. Polly, have you seen the video for this song? I've, I've seen the video, yeah. It's, it's a, about you know, romping around on a little island and very much in the vein of uh, Night Boat. Too. You know, the Benny Hill, just guys running around. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, you know, we got Lee in a dress again. It's like, he will never pass up an opportunity to wear a dress. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I gotta say, I think the boys looked pretty good in the military uniforms. And then, of course, you know, we got Chris with the long hair. <laughs> Just stay tuned to Stateside Madness for more on Chris's hair. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was talking to Polly. I'm trying to persuade him to do an episode just on Chris's hair. 
All right, so uh, it, it's coming. <laughs> All right, so as you mentioned already, Polly, the next song is called White Heat. It's named after the 1949 Jimmy Cagney film. Let's give it a listen. on the aphrodisiac uh the 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 ladies in the the background i think it really very strong on this song and polly is this my imagination or am i hearing a banjo in this song you're hearing a banjo lori it's true it's 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 in there yeah if i had to pick something after harmonica that i didn't want to hear just might be a banjo wow really i i dig it i i yeah. like I like the the fact that they're experimenting with different instruments and different sounds, but uh, you're not feeling it, huh? No, I can appreciate that they want to experiment, but uh, oh, just not my thing. The, the, the song in general is a bit show tune to me, and lyrically, I think they kind of fold it in on a bit. Particularly, I just cannot stand that chinny chin chin i will not let you in and uh i think i think i the prominence of aphrodisiac which are fine fine musicians i really do love um uh carol wheeler uh i just think boy you let some folks um who are not core band members become maybe a little too prominent and all of a sudden you're losing your identity a little bit as i guess as a band i don't know i could i could probably phrase that more diplomatically but um it's i guess it's a case of two entities i really like and appreciate coming together and still not doing a great deal for me maybe hmm. is what i'm saying well, now that's an interesting observation and i do think aphrodisiac do kind of dominate the song a little bit um I'm curious, though, when you talk about two bands that you like coming together, did you feel the same way about Victoria Gardens? No, no, not at all. Um, but I think Victoria Gardens is just a much stronger song. I mean, and it, and it happens. It happens a lot in popular music. Um, and sometimes it is like the Reese's peanut butter cup of music. It's two things you absolutely love and it works fine. Uh, other times it's like a tuna salad hot pocket and it's just not happening. 
Ay. <laughs> you want to introduce the next song? All right. So fifth then would be Mad Not Mad. That's a Chaz, Smash, and Suggs composition. So the two vocalists get together, write this song, and let's take a listen. say i this is this is one of the tracks that stands out for me uh that uh it just seems a little not like madness i think it was very much influenced by that mid 80s sort of what maybe what i would call like cinematic sort of uh pop music and i really scratched my head to think of um an example that I could say it's in this vein, and I, I kind of really couldn't come up with one, but it's uh, a little bit like that period where, like maybe Wang Chung might be a good example, where they had their pop music, their, you know, dancey radio friendly stuff, and then they went into doing uh, stuff like to uh, live and die in LA, and that sort of atmospheric and, you know, uh, very synth heavy stuff. And I don't know, this just wasn't, it wasn't a great song for me. Well, what are your thoughts, Lumbery? Oh, you use the word atmospheric, and I think that is an excellent word to describe this song. This is one of those that I, I could kind of take or leave, you know? Um, I, I, I think it's interesting that they chose, chose to name the album after this song. I think that, that's making an interesting statement. Um, so there are a few lyrical references that I actually had to look up because they were before my time. So Suggs is singing, the windows are open wide, Georgie fame for those outside and answering the call, blue flames leap up the wall. So I actually had to look this up. Georgie fame and the blue flames was a 1960s jazz blues band and that had a very heavy ska influence. So that was kind of, I think a lyrical shout out to maybe one of their early influences. Um, I also realized, and I, get, I don't know why I never put two and two together uh, the title of the website, sevenraggedmen.com, comes from the lyric of this song, too, where they mention seven ragged men, which obviously is a reference to the band themselves. And Polly, I, I know you're a big fan of that website as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, I think they're, um, they're a, a fantastic resource for Madness fans. And, you know, uh, when we started this project, to me, I thought we would kind of aspire to be, you know, a, a bit like that. So hats off to them. I think they're an important part of the Madness fan community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful website. A lot of good information on there. So that's the end of side one. We're going to flip the record over because it is 85 after all. And um, the first track on side two, Sweetest Girl. cover of uh, a song recorded by Scritti Politti in 1981. I happen to be a big Scritti Politti fan. And uh, 85, they were experimenting a lot with synth and stuff too. Uh, Cupid and Psyche 85 was the album that they had around the same time. Um, I love, I, I, I love this track. Um, I think it is better than the original, uh, you know, apologize to, uh, Apologies to, to Green Gart side, but I, I do think that this is much better than the original. We have Aphrodisiac on backing vocals again, which uh, as you had mentioned in a previous episode, Polly was uh, Karen Wheeler and Claudia Fontaine. And now they've also added a third member, Naomi Thompson. So all three of them are singing. And on this track, I think it works. I think it is a really nice uh, blend with, with Suggs's voice. So what I don't, what do you think of this track, Polly? I really do like the the track. If you're familiar with Scritti Politti, uh, the original track, it's a great deal sparser, sparser ambient, and a bit more uh, spoken word delivery in the lyrics. And I love a lot of stuff like that. When I don't know, but it's still going to have a little something something there and uh otherwise uh stuff like that can be a little bit pretentious a little bit off base something like that but uh scritti politti and i'm glad to hear that you're a bit of a, a fan of them i do feel uh like they borrow heavily from laurie anderson and 
um, Lou Reed, some other folks like that that I'm really, really into. And I do, I do love most of what they've done. But getting back to the, the Madness version, I think it's a fantastic take on that song. They really flushed it out, built it up, and added a lot more in the way of instrumentation. I, I don't remember the story about why they decided on that, but um, I'm you know, kind of glad they did it. I do think it's a peculiar, uh, though, that um, the song did come out around 1981. And I think it didn't appear on an album until maybe a little bit later. I think it was originally a single or part of a compilation, something like that. Um, but it just seems like not that much time between 1981 and 1985 to me. I almost feel like you need to let an original artist not necessarily be done with a song before you cover it, but I don't know. It seemed like a bit of a quick turnaround to do a cover off a song like that, especially the song that got a band discovered, kind of like it did with Scritti Pulitti. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting observation. I mean, I guess I didn't really... But I like it. Yeah. I... I guess I didn't really, you know, I mean, if you think about four years in terms of, of what was happening in music in the, this time, right? What was Madness doing in 81, right? I mean, that was like seven, wasn't it? So, I mean, their, their sound had totally changed in four years too. So, I mean, it, it seems four years is an eternity when it, it comes to, to, to recording, I think. I know I had read in an interview that Suggs had said, you asked, you know, why did they choose this song? Suggs said, let's get really serious and take a song that we don't even understand. <laughs> um, I, I think that they did a wonderful job with it. Uh, the video though, oh, <laughs> major, major yeah. miss on the video. Major miss on the video, but such a good song. All right, do you want to take the next song, Polly? Sure. So, uh, number seven, then, would be uh, Chrissy Boy and Suggs' composition, Burning Boats. And let's take a listen. to uh, get into lyrically on this song. Um, according to uh, the Madness biographer John Reed, his take on it that this was a like a poetically worded attack on government policy. Um, and I can see that 
but I don't, uh, the instrumentation on this, I just don't care for enough. And so it tends to be a, a song that I might uh, skip over a lot if I'm, if I'm uh, listening to the album, which I guess I don't that often. Um, so I, I haven't really scrutinized the lyrics uh, too much, but I can, I can kind of see it in there. Of course, burning the boats, uh, the, you know, the metaphor for, for things like that. So yeah, um, there you go. I'm struggling a little bit. Feel me out, Lori. Well, okay, so we got John Lander on harmonica again, and we know, Polly, that you absolutely love harmonica. So, um, you know, I'm going to, like, just download, I'm going to download a bunch of harmonica tracks and just, like, send them to you. We'd, like, do, do an entire episode of harmonica. Thank you. Yeah, don't mention it. Uh, and again, you know, aphrodisiac on the vocals again. And, you know, this is kind of a throwaway track for me. Maybe if it was by another band, maybe I wouldn't be so hard on it. You know, maybe I've just set my expectations too high because they've had so many good, good tracks in the past, but it's forgettable. I'm sorry to say. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I, I, I would disagree about the forgettableness of it. I kind of think that, you know, this is probably the best representation of if the band was kind of having a, you know, a post Barson kind of like, holy shit moment, what do we do? How do we, you know, get through this? Um, I think that's probably the best example of let's throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. And, you know, ironically, you know, they were all such good songwriters, you know, and I'm speculating if they had a panic moment after Barson left, but it kind of seems like on this album that they did. And, you know, amazingly, like I said, they're all fantastic songwriters and all had so much to contribute that the departure of one person as sad and as devastating as it might have been, to me, didn't mean that they had to completely, you know, change every, everything. Um, so I think, um, you know, like I said, I think Burning Boats is the best example of let's just do something anything and what's on the radio today oh huey lewis so let's do something like that you know so i kind of that's kind of bit of my feeling about burning the boats well isn't it interesting too that you know this whole album you know we talk about it, it kind of feels forced right but that nme would have held this album in such high esteem to label it one of the 100 greatest albums of all time you know, isn't that interesting? There, there's definitely some kind of cognitive dissonance going on there, I think. But... Uh... Well, I think that music, uh, I, 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 to your point, I think that music criticism also took a radical shift in the mid 80s. And that informed you know, the choices that musicians made as much as the new technology and things like that. So. I do find it surprising that they would list it at number 55, but you know, it is, it's a, uh, just like the music, that decision is probably very much of the times. I think you're very, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, and if you look at what else was going on in music in 85, I mean, Duran Duran was just coming off of View to a Kill. You mentioned Depeche Mode earlier. 
I guess in the context of what else was going on musically at the time, maybe then I can, I can kind of see that. So I guess context is everything. Interesting how it just hasn't seemed to age very well. Let's move on to the next song. Chaz Smash wrote the next one. It's called Tears You Can't Hide. interesting track it really kind of uh, a little bit unexpected i think uh, especially in the context of the the previous tracks kind of reminds me of stand by me i don't know what do you what do you think of this one polly uh i think it's a fine composition uh i already did say earlier in the podcast that i just don't like the um slow tempo stuff but i like to think that i can recognize quality inside of uh genres and you know art forms and things like that that i don't necessarily tend to gravitate towards so you know i can see definitely see the appeal um fine um you know almost uh stripped back version of a song so so far as that goes with everything else going on uh in the album i definitely like that and i love 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 when uh bands do uh name checking and so I love the just hit me with your saxophone Lee line. Bit playful and a bit like uh, kind of trying to add a live element into a recording. So I don't know. It's a neat, it's a neat trick. But I was, I was a James Brown fan, a Little Richard fan. They did that stuff all the time. I find it quite endearing. I like that too. Uh, it just hit me with your saxophone Lee. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And you know what? It's really nice to have... Chaz singing on another song. You know, I, I, I'm always very appreciative when he takes the lead on a song. I, I love songs, don't get me wrong. Um, they're, they're two very different vocalists, but it, it's nice to occasionally let him uh, take the lead on a song like this. So I appreciate it for that. All right, and uh, so here we go. Uh, another Chaz Smash composition. Number nine is time. Play it, Lori. Wait a minute. Did you just oh, name That was my name check Did for you. Did you just name check me? <laughs> Looking very blue today It's so 
right, so uh, about the song, I consider this kind of the most consistent song, uh, Madness, you know, brand sound-wise, I think, on the album. You know, it's, it's a fine, uh, fine effort. Um, I do think this is another one where bringing in uh, Aphrodisiac and giving them such a prominent part didn't, didn't serve the band particularly well. Continuing to say that statement makes me feel a little bit awkward almost. It's kind of like uh, music should be a collaborative thing, I think, most of the time. So I don't know where that gut feeling of, um, you know, that conflict comes from of thinking, uh, bringing in more people and uh, sort of expanding a little bit on um, uh, almost like the number of people in the band sort of thing. I don't know why that gets to me, but uh, I thought this was probably the best example of that on the whole album. Um, what are your thoughts, Lori? Well, you know, it's okay. It's, it, I don't hate it. I, I, there's, there's one line that just stands out for me, and that is, it's so sad, but we don't seem to be going forward at all. And if that doesn't sum up where the band must be feeling at this point, you know, I, I, that, that really must be where they were at, you know? And um, yeah, I, I, I think that that, that just kind of, that sums it up. That's all I got. Um, Very much so. All right. Should we listen to the last track? I think so. Okay. So this is called Coldest Day. that's the last track on the album cold coldest day so interestingly enough on this one we've got um clive langer shares a writing credit on this one he's one of the producers uh shares the writing credit with chris foreman and with suggs so most of this song is about the death of marvin gay which happened the year before in 84 i mean even just the the beginning of the song no i never heard through the grapevine how you left long before your time so most of it seems to be, you know, like a tribute to Marvin Gaye. But then there's that part that they just kind of shove in there about um, Johannesburg, which I guess is a, a momentary nod to uh, Gil Scott Heron's anti-apartheid album or anti-apartheid anthem. 
rather. So I don't know. There's two pieces here again that to me don't quite fit together. I think it's a decent song and I think it's a, an interesting note to end the album on this kind of very somber, sad, you know, it, I mean, it is a song about death. I don't, what do you think? Well, I, I loved the concept of it being a huge Marvin Gaye fan and to uh, uh, you know, a much lesser extent, Gil Scott Heron, uh, but still a fan. I, I feel like after knowing what they were trying to get at in the song, I kind of felt like I just wanted a little, little bit more. I, I love tribute songs. I commend them for trying to, you know, take it on, trying to do it. But at the end, uh, I think just not, not a super strong song. Well, you know what you said about how it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more. That's that's kind of how I feel about most of the tracks on the album. Not all of them. There are some strong ones. So that was the end of Mad Not Mad. This was 1985. So something worth noting here uh, in '85. One of the biggest events, not just of '85, but probably of the decade, was Live Aid. And that was in 85. And apparently, Madness was invited to perform at Live Aid, but they, they declined. And um, I was watching some interviews where they had said, you know, that they just knew that they were not happy. So after this album, well, they put out one other single. And this is actually, I think you're going to, you're going to introduce this, right? Yeah, back, back uh, however, to... Um the bit about Live Aid, uh, of course we all know. Uh, I knew this for some time because I'm a huge Queen fan, but um, of course now we've, we've gotten the movie and every, everybody knows about it, but uh, Queen was in the same spot as Madness. They were not digging each other. Um, they were struggling and they were not down to play Live Aid, um, but they did and look how well it worked for them. So who, who knows? Um, you know, where are your different choices lead you in life? Well, but, but, but um, yeah. Um, but Duran Duran was also in the same position and they were very strained and they played Live Aid and that was it. I, I, it was, they were not even speaking to each other at that point. And they, they broke up immediately after, well, didn't break up exactly, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of the members left the band, but um, it was not good for them in, in terms of their interpersonal dynamics. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things that could go either way. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and Culture Club was really struggling at that point, and uh, that was a disaster for them. Oh, see, now that I didn't know. So, so, um, so. While Mad Not Mad really does mark the uh, end of the, you know, the first uh, continuous era of madness, um, and they were all, for intents and purposes, uh, broken up, they did um, assemble again briefly in uh, June of 1986 to play a benefit concert for Artists Against Apartheid. And Barson was back on piano for the song Waiting for the Ghost Train. Uh, Sugg's composition, which was about apartheid, um, was sort of supposed to be their swan song. 
and um, it was, um, you know, because they felt they wanted to be part of that movement, but they didn't necessarily want to continue on as a band. So it was kind of like a bit of a one-off. Um, so Could we listen uh, to it. So there you go. Uh, we we should listen to it. <laughs> So, so as you said, this is not on the album, Mad Not Mad, although I think they might have included it like in the 2010 deluxe re-release maybe. But so yeah, this, like you said, one-off single. Uh, so this was written by Suggs. And it, as you mentioned, it is about apartheid in South Africa. You know, it's black and white. Don't try to hide it. There is a little bit of sadness though. I mean, you can really kind of tell from the video and then from I think they did a top of the pops performance of this one too this was it this was the end and um this was this was their goodbye uh no just wanted to put in there I think it's a very strong song um and uh bit hearkening back to about you know yeah maybe about the time of uh seven I think uh this the sound is definitively madness and it's so strange that they were kind of able to pull that out and almost seem effortless um it's, it's still probably right up there and you know maybe my top 10 favorite madness songs I, it's a good tune and you know i wonder if maybe the fact that mike barson is back on this one song he didn't write it but you know playing the piano again i don't know maybe maybe that added something back to it but it, it was as you mentioned there's one song kind of sad so madness did break up after releasing this one-off single that's not the end of the story though as we're going to see in, in episodes in the coming weeks and as we've already kind of hinted at in some of our other episodes it's not the end of the band not not forever polly you knew it was coming what is your favorite yeah what is your favorite track and what is your least favorite track okay so um favorite 
song, yeah, I think it's clearly going to be between Uncle Sam and Sweetest Girl. And I'm just going to say Sweetest Girl. There you go. You've got all my com comments from yeah. uh, when we played the track yeah. about why I like it. Um, least favorite song? I think it's got to be Burning the Boats. I genuinely, uh, yeah, just not, there's just nothing there for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. You know, I'm going to sound like I'm saying ditto, but yeah, Swedish Girl for me, absolutely strongest track. I mean, I think I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I was playing it during the week and it's one of those that gets into my head and does not leave, you know, and I'll just be, you know, riding the bus or walking down the street and the sweetest girl in all the world. It's just like, it's on loop in my head. It, and it's because it's a good song. You know, because there are songs that do that that are horrible songs. But uh, no, I absolutely love Sweetest Girl. And I'm with you. I think Burning the Boats is probably the weakest track. So you and I agree. That doesn't happen too often. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And to celebrate the thousandth download of our podcast, we felt we wanted to reward our uh, friends and fans by offering up a little freebie. So we are going to be giving away a sealed factory new copy of Absolutely on 180 gram vinyl. So if any of you are interested in that, we'd like for you to hit up the Stateside Madness Facebook, and tell us a little bit about our podcast and which episode uh, was your favorite and why. And we are going to collect all of those responses and we're going to be giving away that copy to one that we appreciate the best. So there you go. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be posting on uh, the Stateside Madness Facebook page. I'm going to be posting the details about this contest. So uh, we're going to ask you to reply and let us know what your favorite episode of the podcast was. We're going to close entries on December 26th. And we're going to make this available, unfortunately, guys, for uh, American uh, addresses or territories only. Uh, we just, we, we can't afford to be shipping halfway across the globe. We, we have zero budget. So this is coming out of our pockets. Um, so this is, <laughs> this is unfortunately going to be limited. Uh, if, if you win, uh, it, it has to be shipped to an American address or an American territory. We like to know what you like, you know, what we're going to, we have to keep coming up with content for this. Somebody asked me, um, how long do you intend to keep doing this podcast? And my response was, until Polly and I have nothing left to say. <laughs> Watch for the contest on the Stateside Madness Facebook page. And again, we thank everybody for listening. This has been such a cool experience. I don't think, Polly, I know you didn't. I had no idea that it was going to blow up like this. So uh, I, am, I am flattered. I am humbled. And I really hope that this podcast and the response we're getting to it shows the band that American fans love madness. That would be the goal. Yeah, let's let them know. Uh, so for the next two episodes, uh, we're doing a two-parter about the man himself, Suggs. And boy, is that daunting. 
clearly the most uh, written about, most talked about member of the band. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, Lori. Uh, when I start doing homework for this, I'm really scared about coming up with something fresh. But like always, we're gonna do a unique American fan perspective, and you know, maybe that'll, maybe that'll get us through. He is the front man. He is the public face of the band. And as a result, I, there is a lot more material out there that, that I think it warrants splitting into two episodes. So we, yeah, we are going to be doing uh, a couple episodes on, on Suggs. And then following that, I think we're going to do an episode on Chaz Smash. So we're going to have a couple of uh, um, band member specific episodes coming up. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to close this episode and, and I really kind of went back and forth about this, what song I wanted to close with, but this is the end of madness. At least as far as they were concerned, this was the end. They did not expect that they were ever going to get back together. And um, there was a song and it, it was, a, I think it was a B side or maybe it was an unreleased track, uh, which uh, Lee Thompson wrote maybe in another life. And I think it just really kind of expresses the, the sadness that, uh, that not just the band felt, but I think that the fans felt, you know, with, with the breakup of the band. So I'd, I'd like to close with that song. So uh, see you in two weeks for the, the first of two episodes about Suggs. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Polly. Absolutely right back at you, Lori. Happy holidays to everybody out there. And good night from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Yeah.